Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I lost my mind crying last night thinking Aww. about Bill Paxton. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer but... <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Megan Steelstra, who is the author of three collections, Everyone Remain Calm, Once I Was Cool, and The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, which was the 2017 nonfiction book of the year from the Chicago Review of Books. Her work appears in the Best American Essays, New York Times, The Believer, Poets and Writers, Tin House, Long Reads, Guernica, The Rumpus, and elsewhere. A longtime company member with Second Story, she has told stories for National Public Radio, Radio National Australia, the Museum of Contemporary Art, and all sorts of theaters, festivals, classrooms, and bars. So many bars. (laughs) She teaches creative writing in Chicago and weird, wonderful Zoom spaces in your living room like the one that we're on right now. Welcome, Megan. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We love you. (laughs) Megan, what do you have to read to us? Uh, I'm going to read you the beginning from an essay called An Axe for the Frozen Sea. It's, uh, It's up at the believer. One. I throw two handed fists stacked at the base of the axe handle. My right foot is at the line, my left just behind and I rock. My weight shifting forward, back, forward, back. This strength is mine. This body, mine. The target Concentric rings painted on a two by 10 pine board and drilled into the wall. It's 15 feet in front of me. 15 feet is the full rotation of an ax. When I started throwing axes, I read articles by physicists about velocity and angle and centrifugal force. I read governing rules from the National Axe Throwing Federation and the World Axe Throwing League, including etiquette, scoring, and foot faults. I watched countless instructional videos, the majority featuring dudes in fields, and one where the actor Jason Momoa nails a bullseye while drinking a very large beer. I watched that last one many times. Feet still staggered, I bring both hands back over my head. The blade is straight. I'm leaning back, my elbows are at my ears and I'm gripping the handle and everything in me, I don't know how else to say this, sighs. The knots in my neck untie, brambles in my back untangle. This is what child's pose used to feel like, the relaxation, the release. But yoga isn't working for me right now, neither is bourbon. I've been drinking too much or sleeping, not much at all, or deep breaths or petting dogs or social media breaks or any of a thousand things we do to stay calm. Don't tell me to be calm. I am not fucking calm. I could explode this city with the sheer force of my rage. I let go of the ax. Sliced air and the gunshot of steel on board. The blade sinks and sticks in the splintered wood just to the right of the third ring. That's okay. I don't care about points. I'm not here to win. I'm not here to compete in a league or hang out with friends or even hit the target. I want to split open. Two, rage is nothing new, but the policies and rhetoric of our administration have kicked it screaming into the center. There are moments from this time that I will never unsee. 
children in cages under foil blankets, hundreds of pairs of shoes left at the Capitol building in Puerto Rico, belonging to people who died during Hurricane Maria, a statement by a tiki torch manufacturer saying they didn't support white supremacists, a child-sized bulletproof backpack in polka dot pink sold for $114 on Amazon, a photo of white men in suits congratulating one another as they legislate women's bodies, a photo of Merrick Garland, a photo of Sandra Bland, Christine Blasey Ford saying that she remembers the stairwell, the bedroom, the uproarious laughter. Last March, I spent an hour on the floor of my office when the university where I teach went on lockdown due to an active shooter. My son's elementary school a mile away was on lockdown too. Later, once he knew I was okay, once he could see past the terror of his own imagination, he had a question. He has a lot of questions. Why don't people want his uncles to get married? Why do we have to wait until the first of the year to go to the doctor? Why can he play with squirt guns in the front yard and his cousin cannot? What is treason? This time he asked if I was scared. It already felt like another lifetime. Lights off, door locked, under my desk. I watched my students share information on social media. I memorized the carpet, the bookshelves. I tried to breathe. I don't do well with shootings. I don't think anybody should do well with shootings, but no, I said to my son. I wasn't scared. I was angry. I am angry. I think anger is a logical response to the world. I think it's beneficial a warning siren that something is wrong and needs our attention. It shows us where the fight is. When anger isn't heard, it turns to rage. Here's something I've been trying. When I feel it, the lightning bolt zipping up my spine, yelling, what the actual fuck at my newsfeed, I think, okay, how can I be of use? A DIY sort of classical conditioning, turning the visceral, ugly emotion into a positive response, working with young people, donating what I can, supporting local organizations and progressive candidates, listening to their expertise and amplifying their efforts, the seemingly small stuff too, shoveling my neighbor's sidewalk, writing, you are talented and attractive in the snow on all the car windows up and down my block paying off other people's library fines, carrying around extra hand warmers for people who are cold, carrying cash to tip, tipping well, my writing and my parenting and my body in the street. Three, and yet the lightning bolt down my back. What the actual fuck? I'm trying to understand what is happening to my body. I'm reading about the differences between anger and rage, what happens when the feeling goes unattended, when we don't listen to ourselves. If anger is the siren, rage is a tornado. The siren's been going off for centuries and we didn't pay attention to the blaring goddamn noise. It's ferocious, it's destructive. Medieval Latin rabia from the Latin rabies or anger fury. I have been pulling out clumps of my own hair. I'm gnawing on the insides of my cheeks. I'm accidentally dropping dishes, the satisfaction of the crash, bare feet bloody on the kitchen floor. Here is my body, spiked adrenaline, skewed temporal perspective, and high endurance, like when I was 18 working night shifts at Arby's and I stuck my hand in the deep fryer. My pulse is on fast forward. Lately, I've noticed that my butt hurts. A physician friend explained that we hold tension in our pelvic muscles and everybody's walking around with their asses clenched. I'm always hot. My internal thermostat cranked. Somebody on the internet suggested it was menopause and I killed him with my brain. I am doing a lot of awful things with my brain. I am Dark Willow in season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am Jean Grey, the phoenix when she atomizes the professor. I am a woman in America. My imagination is a dangerous place. In an interview about her book, Anger and Forgiveness, University of Chicago philosopher Martha Nussbaum named something that felt vital, like she was reaching through the words and talking just to me. With lots of things, say, having good health or a fit body, she writes. We think that's worth working on every day, but somehow we give ourselves a pass when it comes to anger. Man, I don't wanna pass. I want to split open my guts on the table. I want to see this rage. Four, I have recently started therapy. Five, and ax throwing. Thanks.
You know, I feel like every time I hear you read, um, and I know you talk about this a lot and you're get asked about this a lot, your whole soul comes through. I mean, you just, you mean the shit that you say. And I know that um, it even says on your website that, you know, that this piece talks about rage and that, and on your website, it says Megan Steelstra is, a, is writing about rage among mm. other things. But you, what the, so I want to know if when you're writing, is it rage that's pumping through you? Because what I get from it is yes, rage, but what I also get from it is this overwhelming sense of humanity and this, this sort of like invitation to, um, I don't know, recognize my own. Um, and so I want to know like what I'm thinking about this story that my old advisor told me about. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was the guy who wrote so long see you tomorrow, or maybe it was Sherwood Anderson was asked how, what he feels when he's writing because his writing is very composed and pe beautiful and peaceful and loving and sad. And, and he just said he was filled with rage. <laughs> anyway, I want to know what is it inside you as you're writing these things? I think it, well, okay. What, what you said about humanity, I, I think, I think that's it. I think like I, I'm, you know, I, I came up to, you know, through writing and making personal essays through microphones in Chicago, right? And so the the distance that happens sometimes um, between a writer on the page and a reading audience, mm -hmm. it doesn't exist with that. Like your audience is right in front of you. They are like, they're looking, they're looking into your, <laughs> into your guts even. I was just about to say soul. And then I, and then that might've been a little too cheesy for me to be able to handle myself. <laughs> like, like I went the more visceral, like split open my body on the table. <laughs> You know, and, and especially in Chicago, like the audience, like if you don't bring everything of yourself to that stage, you're going to, you're just going to lose people right away. Like mm -hmm. I, I think this audience in this city made me brave and made me, and made me feel like I, I had to put it all on the table every single time. And I'm really grateful for that, right? Be, because there, there are sometimes that like I write things that I, I couldn't imagine publishing, right? Like I don't want my dad in Alaska or my ex in New York or my kid 10 years in the future to read it necessarily. And then I, and then I get up on a microphone and I'm able to see really immediately how that affects people. Like I just did this show at the, the paper machete last week. And I was reading about the, the Texas abortion law that, mm -hmm. that is just, it is just terrifying. And y'all, I don't want, like, I don't want to be thinking about how we need to protect our bodies from the government right now. Like I want to have hot girl summer. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. And I, but it's just like Ruth Bader Ginsburg is up there in the sky. Like Megan, pay attention. <laughs> if somebody hands me a microphone like that is a awful big responsibility and, and I'm, I'm going to use it. Right. So, so it comes back to how I can make that human connection on the page. And yeah, sometimes it's anger right now. It, it's a lot about grief. I mean, I am sad. I, I'm really sad. And that is a, um, that is a, an emotion that feels really new in, in my body. I, my first two books are being re-released next month. Mm -hmm. um, Northwestern University Press, and, and they first came out like 10 years ago. So this is a whole wild thing to, to talk about, like what it means to, to put your old self back into the, the spotlight, like, spotlight, spotlight like this. But I, um, I, when Once I Was Cool first came out, I remember two reviews coming out on the same day, and one of them was like, this book doesn't feel realistic because it's too optimistic. Oh. The other review was like, um, this book is so great because I needed some optimism in my life. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> like I've been walking around thinking about optimism for a decade, right? Just, just that single word. And I, I don't know, we've been through, y'all, I've been through it this past year and a half. We've all been hmm. through it. And I think to not talk about the sadness feels deeply dishonest to me right now. So, so I, um, I, right now the fuel feels like sadness, mm -hmm. but you know, in, in 2018, it was anger. That's when I wrote the ax one. Mm. 
that qualification that you just made is the same one that I have been making for over a year, Megan, where you say, man, I've really had a tough year. It's been tough. You know what? We've all had a tough year. And Mm -hmm. I keep doing that. And in some way, I wonder if that's why it's hard for us as individuals to really look at what we've been going through because we think about what we've all been going through. It's so much, it's so much, I mean, what, what you just read, it's so much about care for other people, being worried for other people and acknowledging how much is going on with yourself. But it's so hard to really, really look at what's going on with yourself when we can't even say the whole sentence this is what's going on with me. I do it when I talk to Lindsay. If, if we're just Constantly. giving a rundown, if we're just doing a rundown of what's going on with our week, I feel bad even, you know, because I know that her week was tough too. And it's with buddies, it's with strangers. So I, I really feel you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's so important too, though. Like to, I mean, we are all we have, right? Like, I, and so just to know how deeply not alone we are in it, I, I teach memoir classes online. And, and though I, I had 20, I worked with 20 memoir writers this year and they were, I mean, you know, and I've been working with, I've been working with writers for 20 years now, but just this year, it was a, a lifeline in ways I think I'm only beginning to understand, let alone articulate like every single day in my inbox were stories of survival. And, and these were stories of of like people that I I was sitting on Zoom, like these are actual human beings that I could see and call and touch. And you know, like like even if, if you think of people who you sit in a class with or people who you work with at whatever your, you know, your jobs are, or um, just to know that everybody is is in it and what does it mean to survive? And, and I think part of that means telling the truth about our experience. and. And then the, for me, that the question becomes how, right? How do we tell the, the truth about it? Because sometimes that means fiction. Sometimes, like we, we can get closer to the truth in that way. And sometimes that means very verbatim, hey, here's the thing that happened to my body. I was on the, I was on the ground under the desk for two hours at Northwestern. And sometimes though, there are stories that really happened to us that we can't tell verbatim, right? Like I've worked with writers who are in custody disputes or, you know, like their, their exes were abusive or there's legal issues and they can't, they can't tell the verbatim truth. So part of the work becomes how do we tell the truth without telling the exactness of the experience, right? So, so the, the how, um, you know, that there's all these, incredible conversations that we have all the time in the literary community about craft and what that means. But craft can't ever be divorced from a, a human being's body and like the what what we carry every day. Because these decisions of craft are, are more than just some fancy literary rhetoric. Sometimes it's just like, this is, this is how I saved my life. You, I did an event with you um, recently where we talked about menopause, which was everything. Um, and you started it by saying, I would just want to acknowledge where we all are right now mm-hmm. and sort of talking about, you know, the pandemic and, and what that might've done and, and just really just acknowledging or giving space for people's experiences and, 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 um, and, and not really naming them or, or, or claiming them or anything, but I just thought that was such a wonderful way to take a breath and to, um, to like ground the event. Um, and I feel that from you every time I encounter you, every time I am near you, I remember I was like hugely pregnant, um, with my third and I hadn't really talked to anyone about, about the pregnancy and, you know, cause it was a total shock. And, and I saw you, we were getting our picture taken and I just thought, Megan is who I can tell. Megan is who I can talk to. <laughs> do you feel, cause I really do think it's, it's unique to you and it's unique. And, and, and sometimes I feel like it's not fair because you also have things to, you know, obviously have things to say, but do you feel that from people? Do you feel that pull from people or that awakening inside them just simply because of who you are and, and how, how you acknowledge people? 
I love this question and it's also it's also deeply loaded, right? Yeah, I, totally. Yeah, like like <laughs> a, a couple of years ago when I was on book tour, the writer Ashley Ford, who I just adore, oh, was, inter- love her. was interviewing me in New York and, and she said, talk to me about how, uh, about how you manage your boundaries. Mm. And I was like- That's such oh. an Ashley question. <laughs> it is such an Ashley question. And, and I have thought about it every day sense and there like this this hit me really hard in 2016 um after the access hollywood you know i I work with i mean i i work with all age groups but um but at at the time i I was primarily working with college students and the after the access hollywood tapes came out you know because our our the, the world enters the work right right and so something happens in the world, whether it's a it's a a tragic thing or a terrifying thing or a lovely thing, and then we all connect with it through our own lived experiences. And just the sheer mass of sexual assault stories that wound up in my inbox. Um, I mean, I, it's it's material that I have worked with before as an educator is certainly something I've lived as a woman. Um, certainly something I've listened to as a friend. Um, and then flash forward a, a year later, it was Weinstein. Mm-hmm. And then a year after that, it was Kavanaugh. And after that, I went and got, I, I, I went through rape, crisis counseling training so that I can learn how to better teach your children. Like, and j- just to think of, of what, of, of the, of the, of the, of the, like I said before, the survival that we, we hand to other people. Like if there are educators listening to this, I, I just like, we have to look long at power. Mm-hmm. Have to think about what it means for somebody to put their hearts on a piece of paper and hand that paper to us, uh, and just what a profound act of trust th- that is. And and so just to it's a it's a pretty tight tightrope for me. I, I think between b- being worthy of that trust and also trying to uh, care for myself a, a little bit because. Mm-hmm. Everybody tells me their stories all of the time. Everybody always, like a woman, and sometimes it, you know, often it's in response to the work, like way before the pandemic, I was on the, I was on the L of all places. And this woman came up to me and said, you're Megan Steelstra. And I was like, yes. And usually when people come up to me in Chicago and say that, I assume it's because I waited on them at the bongo room. I've worked at the bongo room for (laughs) 15 years, which is a pretty famous Chicago place. And so like, usually people come up to me and they're like, you made me Bloody Marys circa 2000 and for, and I was like, I did. Thank you for paying off my college loans. That's what all that did. This woman came up to me on the L and was like, um, I also have an IUD. Oh, one of those things where, and then it, it's just, it, it's, and then she wants to sit down and talk to me about it, which is great. Like these moments, again, the, 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 that's what I want the work to be about are the, these moments that like how we can see one another through a story. But also like I, I was on my, like I was on my way to a meeting or something. Like I wasn't in the headspace to talk about reproductive just, justice or like particularly my like my own insides <laughs> in that public moment, right? And and so so like that that's one of those moments that I like I I take and I I hold it and I multiply it times a thousand and I try to imagine how people who live in bodies other than mine maybe have to have that experience that same experience, but like on a, on a greater level, right? Like I'm thinking about um, like say maybe people who live in trans bodies and all the people who come up to them in public and are like, tell me everything about you, right? Like tell tell us about how your body works. And it's kind of like, dude, fuck you. Like, like you're on your, this person is on there. You have Google, like do a little bit of basic research. (laughs) (laughs) Like what, just even like the, just the smidgen of discomfort that I felt in that moment to like, I, my hope is is that if I sit in it a minute, I I can get a little bit closer to 
empathy. And just as soon as I, I just said sitting in it, I, I lived in four different states this past year and a half with my kid. And one of them, we were in Oakland for five months with my best friend, she and her wife and their, their kid took us in uh, for a while. And she's a, a yin yoga teacher. And, and so she, she spent a lot of time talking to me and doing a lot of work with me just th th these past several months about what it means to sit in discomfort. And very specifically, like how that connects back to um, critical race theory and the examination of whiteness and what it means for me living in a white body to have to sit in the discomfort of, of the history of white feminism. Like I just took this conversation somewhere else, Lindsay. When... <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm yeah. here for it. Yeah, but like, what, what does it mean to, to sit in discomfort? And then how can I bring that back into my work in the hopes that that can be an access point for, for readers who might want to do that work as well? There, I've never gone up to you, Megan, and told you about my IUD, obviously, but <laughs> the only two people I've ever asked for a picture after reading is Lindsay and yourself because <laughs> there is something there's something about when you read that is just you abs it's, it's so true I mean you really pull people in in a way that is unique I mean Lindsay has said it over and over again but I I kind of can't imagine wanting to read as much as you do doing it the way you do it I <laughs> If that makes, I feel like I would be exhausted by that level of attention or that level of the interactions that you're describing just sound completely draining. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's a, it's a privileged place and, you know, people are coming up to you because they love your work and they love hearing you read. They love the essays, but my goodness, I just, I personally, the whole time you were just talking about that, I thought. I could never fucking do that. Yeah. Do you, have you ever watched Alias? No. Okay. It, it is a, it, it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. I love it. It's a, it's a secret agent television show. Anyway, it kind of went off the rails at the end, but what else? The, um, she, she does a lot, like, I think, I just, I think about the, the, the agent's name is Sydney Bristow. And I, I think about her all the time because she, she talks all the time about, this is a terrible comparison, but like, <laughs> I, I think no, about no, it. I love it. She talks all the time just about compartmentalization, right? And like how she has to separate, um, like her work, try and do a avert nuclear fallout or whatever she's trying to do with her dating life or her like fucked up relationship with her father or you, you know, whatever. And like, and, and of course, just to get at conflict, like her boyfriend and her father both work in her office, et cetera, et cetera. It's like maximum, like soap opery conflict kind of thing. It's super delicious. I, I adore it. But she, uh, I think about it all the time, just like what it means to separate my work from my life. Right. Like in, <clears throat> like in the in rape crisis training, like they talk about how you should have a like a sweater or a scarf. And at the end of the day, you can take it off. So you are physically stepping out of the, the part of yourself where you are carrying the stories of others. Wow. Right? Like, so you're able to just physically step into your life and to be present for your children or, or what, or what have you. So, so it's a, it's a thing that I, that I try to be really focused on. I think, especially as a parent, like my, it, I, I, it's just me and my son now. And, and so to, to be able to be there for him in the way that I need to be able to be there, I need to be able to put all of this down. And I, I think for me, that is one of the things that made this past year and a half so hard. Like on top of all of the, oh my God, he's sniffling. Does that mean that he has COVID? Or, oh my God, why are we in a motel in Utah right now? Like what, how, what the hell is happening? Um, but, but just to, um, it, it was more difficult to compartmentalize. Like, how do I teach what I teach and talk about the subject matters that we need to talk about when there is a 13 year old child right there in algebra class? Mm -hmm. Like we're in the, for, I mean, when we, we were in, in Vegas for six months, I was there in a, a sharing fellowship with the Black Mountain Institute. And it, we have this beautiful apartment, but it was like all open loft, right? Like everything was, open so like there were no doors to shut like there you know so seventh grade is right there next to 
oh, we are discussing these memoirs about um, bipolar disorder and alcoholism and death and assault and, you know, like all of these like super intense subject matter by these incredibly brilliant women and non-binary folks who were just like writing to save their own lives and really truly saved mine in the process. Like I, I don't know what this year would have been if, if I wasn't able to share space with people who made it through and taught me that there is an after. Um, so anyway, I, I, I feel like that part of me is like, th that's something you need to get back is that like division Mm -hmm. inside your own head and part of me is like okay this is just where I live now mm. which means my son and I have had to have a lot of um pretty intense conversations this year but I, but what parent hasn't done that with their children right like with the election this year with the murder of George Floyd you know I, there are a lot of very real conversations we had to have very very quickly Eden Lepoki says, if the kid is old enough to ask the question, then they're old enough to get the answer. Mm -hmm. And I really took that to heart this past year. And it, it does make for some intense conversations and like conversations that I want to stop having. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's, they're thinking about it. They're already thinking about it, you know. Um, but, they, but you, you said something interesting about um, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about this because we talked a little bit about it with Rachel Yoder talking about Night Bitch, how there's this, this mother side and then there's the artist side mm -hmm. and like they keep bumping up against each other and how the fuck are we supposed to combine them? Like how can they live in harmony and feed each other? And I think sometimes it can feel like it's happening because you have the time and the space to do your art mm -hmm. but but then sometimes it it still feels like there's something off or like there's some I don't know and 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 maybe it's just a constant practice um you know like I think like compartmentalizing is a privilege in some ways because yeah. we like you're saying we weren't able to do it <laughs> we weren't able to do it this past year when we were all together all the time but I also think there's got to be a way. I guess we just have to turn into dogs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have to turn into whatever our art is requiring of us and mother from there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I well, I, I mean, I, I think that this is the big question that everybody has, I mean, the, these, these questions aren't new, right? Like we're all no, exactly of people who've been wrestling with them forever. But I, I wonder if, you know, in, in, it feels like people have been wrestling with them alone, deep in their inner lives and in their journals and in their notebooks, as opposed to something like this, where we're trying to wrestle with it publicly. Um, and, and, like to, to just have the spaces where it's like, this, this sucks. Yes. And how, does, how does class and gender and race all connect with this stuff? You know, and like, why, why are there voices that we're missing out on? Well, because we're raising children. Yes. And that, that's <laughs> one of the many answers or because we're working 17 day jobs to pay the rent. And so just the sheer amount of time, I do not have the time that Steinbeck had. To sit all of the time, right? And I, like, it's just not right. Like, I, I was, I'm, I'm rereading one, one of one of the one of the great pandemic things that happened. Although, even though that that sentence that I just said out loud like makes me want to launch myself, <laughs> right? like, like there are over six hundred thousand people dead in the United States this past year. Like, there is no reason why a sentence like that should come out of my mouth. Um, but I, I was on a, I was on a Twitter book club with people, and we were rereading *East of Eden*, and I, and I read um, his journal of a novel at the same time. I don't know if you all have read it. It was, it was really fascinating because, like, he would, when he was writing *East of Eden*, he would write it on the right side page of his notebook, but in the left side page of the notebook, before he would start writing every day, he would write a letter to his editor about what he wanted to accomplish that day in the writing. Whoa. 
So before he even, start, I know, and you can just buy the book, you can buy the book that's just the left-hand pages. And of course it starts out with the writing plan, but then it like turns into all this other shit that, that he's talking about. But I just sat there, you know, and in there he would be like, you know, and then I only got to write for seven hours today. And I'd be like, oh my God, God like, fuck what? off. <laughs> oh like, my God. Like, I wrote my last book, like in the back of the dojo during, like on a, during karate class yep. with six year old, like we can make work anywhere. That is the, the parent superpower. It, it, like, even if we only get five minutes, like here's, here's what I made in five minutes. It's not anything that I would publish, but it's, it's the, um, it's the guts of it. Kiese Lehman has this piece, we're not good enough to not practice. And he talks about how like, sometimes you need to write 3000 words to find the paragraph that really glows. Right. And so, so for me, like that, that's just been the biggest connection between writing and parenting is I, I learn very quickly that every single bit of time counts. Mm -hmm. This Got five minutes on the back of a cocktail napkin counts. Yes. Um, this 15 minutes between classes counts stuck in traffic on Lakeshore drive. I like, I have a dictation app. I can talk it into the, like, like the, it's not precious anymore. There is no, I will make a playlist and I will, <laughs> like that just doesn't exist. I have shit to do. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I can remember visiting the Hemingway house, one of his homes in Key West. And they talked about how he would go down to start writing at 6 a.m. And first he would sharpen four pencils or something like that. <laughs> and then he would write until noon and then it was party time. It was just like, ugh, yeah. good for you, Hemingway. Great. Good job. Um, um I want to hear what it's like to revisit your work with these yes. two books that are being republished. Yeah. <laughs> I, I this, this is the thing that hasn't really, that I haven't exactly processed yet. Cause it, I mean, it, it happened really quickly and, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. I love the team at Northwestern university press. They are, it's just been a, a dream to work there. And I think to know that the, the books are going to live, right? That, um, cause I think like sometimes when, when you publish with independent presses, like the, the press can go under like all sorts of things. And my first two books were with independent presses, right? So, so when the, when the presses went under, I, I kind of, I thought both those books were dead in the water. And, and so, um, so there was a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of a mourning period, I, mm -hmm. I guess. And, and it's kind of like, hello, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. And so <laughs> th that was really exciting. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think about it like, like, you know, the, the shoe boxes we have under the bed of old photos. I mean, mm -hmm. the, it feels like those don't really exist anymore because everything is digital and, and there's something we've lost maybe with, with just like that kind of documentation of our past selves. I'm, I'm trying to think of it in, in that light, like these first two books and the essays and stories in them. The, the first one was a short story collection and the second one was a essay collection, is an essay collection. But I'm trying to think of it as like, the, these, are, these are kind of portraits of, of myself at this particular time mm -hmm. in my life. Because if I don't think about it in that way, then I would have wanted to rewrite everything through the current lens that I look at the world, right? So, so like that, for me, that was the hardest part just in editing was to not change things. Right. And yeah, I, so what, so what did you? Yeah. Yeah. What's the editing process like when you're not making, when you're republishing something like that? Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the first thing was just the, the, the editorial standards at, at, and you are very high. So just even like the, the copy editing work that happened with both of these books is not something that happened on the first go. And gotcha. so, so just even like that, that kind of, care and a, attention to detail was, um, made, I think it, it made me feel really cared for, um, which is a, a lovely place to be in. But you know, that there, what's tricky, like think of y'all like looking back at your writing from 10, 15 years ago, 
right? Like, would you want to change things and fix things? I'm guessing. Yes. Like you're, you're a a thousand percent. Yes. Where then (laughs) you see the world in a different way. And particularly when we're looking at personal essay, I mean, so to write something like here, here, okay, here's what I want to say specifically that I'm kind of dancing around, but like, I just need to get better at admitting this. I'm going through a divorce. It sucks. It is what it is. And so many of the essays in Once I Was Cool in particular was about a time that I was really in love, right? Mm. And so that's hard. For me now, right, like (laughs) rereading those essays, like I I wanted to keep going back in and add things like, Megan, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, be careful. Like, be careful with your heart. What are you doing? Like, like that girl was so wide open and and I think a, a thing that was both really hard in in reading it was ju- just like having to n- negotiate with with how locked I feel now. But maybe a, a lovely thing was was to be able to is is me now maybe wanting a little bit of that back? Like mm. I, I want it back. I want to be that open again. And, and so maybe that gives me something to work towards a little bit, right? So, so I can answer this question just on a sheer copywriting way. Like my semicolons are lit in this book, right? <laughs> but also just kind of like this inner place of, I, I think me now needed me then a little bit, even even though it was, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard not to add I don't know, like before I was talking about people saying the book was so optimistic. I don't, I didn't feel that way at the beginning of this year. And and now I, I, I still don't feel that way, but I, I feel more like maybe I, maybe I can get some of that back. Did looking at the older work change your understanding of your writing now? Oh, sure. And I think that that's, that's always the, that's always part of it, right? Like the, the thing that I, I, I find most interesting about like the personal essay as a form is how I, every single day as we learn and change and grow and experience really great things and really awful things is like our perspective on our past will change. We'll, we'll see it in a different way. There are essays that I've written that I thought were done that are not, they, they were done for the essay, but they are not done for my life, right? Mm. Like, like I'm thinking in, in my, my last book, The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, there was one book about the beginnings of relationships and about, um, you know, and I ended that with what I thought was my last beginning, mm. right? Like, the, which was the, my son's father. And I, and that is not the truth anymore of, of my experience, right? Like it's the truth of the essay at the time that I wrote it, which makes it a snapshot of my past, but it's not, it's not, it's no longer true of my life. Um, so the, the meaning of the work changes as we change. And I, I think that's really, I think that's pretty profound. Um, like, like there's all sorts of different experiences I've had in the past that I, I look at really differently now. Like what I think about marriage as an institution is very different now. So how, how does my older work change because of that? Um, and that, that's the thing we've got to give ourselves permission to do is, is change, right? I, I, I have this like old really old interview with Anais Nin and, and she talks about how all of her work is a, the study of human growth, um, which I think like if we take, like if we look at a, a, a writer's body of work, like from the very first thing they wrote up until the end, I, I think often we're looking at it for how their, their craft or style changed or evolved. But I'm also interested in how the meaning of our experiences change. Um. I mean, speaking from experience, it can be a very daunting and confusing thing to change as a writer. Um, And you convince yourself, but this is what people want from me. 
you know? Um, and you either like have to do you <laughs> or you just keep <laughs> trying to, yeah. to do the thing you think people want. And, and it, it's, it's hard in the moment to say, oh, I get it. I'm, I'm supposed, you know, I'm, I'm evolving or, or I'm just different, you know? Um, and, and I think, I think about that as, as parents and writers, you know, like you change once you become a parent and um, the rest of the world might make you feel like that's kind of a giving in or a failure. Um, but there's a moment, there was a moment for me where it became kind of like a superpower. Um, but it wasn't easy getting there. It wasn't, it wasn't like, ah, yes, you know, um, and I can see it happening, you know, all throughout my work. Uh, and so, you know, it's obvious to me, (laughs) it's obvious to me that I was, that I was going through a necessary metamorphosis. (laughs) Um, but it's, it can, it can feel, it can feel scary, you know, it can, it can feel like you're losing a sense of yourself, but I really loved what you said about, that you now needed the you then as mm-hmm. that you're, you know, rediscovering as you're going through your, your older stuff. Um, that's, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I did um, like we're, shortly before the, everything shut down. I did this reading at volumes. Hi volumes. I love you. Yay, volumes. Hi volumes. <laughs> hi Rebecca. And uh, I did this reading and um, Rebecca gave me some rosé. And thank you, Rebecca. So I might have been a little tipsy. And, um, and this woman came up to me at the reading and she was covered in glitter. Okay, so it was pride. This was really important. So she'd come right from the pride parade. So she was um, wearing a bikini in the bookstore and she was also drunk and she was covered with glitter. <laughs> she had stopped by the bookstore on the way home from pride because she saw I was gonna be reading and she showed me her arm and she had a line from one of my essays from once oh I was tattooed on her arm. Oh my God. Jesus. The line was, um, this is scary and here we go. Oh. And it was, again, it was one of those moments where like my past self came in to talk to my present self via this very beautiful half-naked glittery messenger. And then we hugged. <laughs> And then I was covered with glitter and, but which is actually like that, that's a much lovelier way for your past work to come back to you than like somebody block quoting you on Twitter, which is another thing that happens and is lovely, but I just prefer naked glittery women hugging me. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't? Totally. But I, I, I do, that, that comes back to like our, our past work as documentation, right? Like of who, we were in that moment, like even like, like I said, those photographs under my, like under our bed, I, I just spent a week at my mom's house in Michigan. And so I was, I'm thinking about these boxes under the bed because that's where all my old boxes under the bed are currently are under my mother's bed. So I was just spending some time looking at all of those, you know, like looking at my 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old self, and just trying to remember what mattered to her. And, and I, I think in, in thinking about these books coming back into the world, I, I hope I did right by her. I, I hope, um, I hope I could be honest about what she was going through and how that got me here now. And here now is the, the writer I am and the teacher, but also the, the, the parent, um, and, and I, I think all those things for me are deeply connected. I, I have no idea how to untangle them. And I'm, I'm really not interested in trying. Right. It sounds like she's doing right by you as well, right? Like, it sounds like, you know, you're concerned about doing right by her, but, but she's, she's, it's, it's, she's coming back and doing right by you. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I hope so. Is there going to be like an introduction and or any sort of editorial notes on your part in these new editions? No, I'm okay. I, but I'm I'm making work of, like I'm making other essays about it now that I think will live separately from. Oh, from cool! 
Oh, I'm so but, excited. You know, the first one, the, the, the stories, everyone remained calm. They never, so, so those came out in 2011. And if you remember your technological history all the way back to 2011, that, that was around the time that like iPads and Kindles were, were coming out. So, <laughs> so that book first came out on a, it was a experiment by a, a Toronto press um, in connection with Joyland. That is a really oh, incredible. Yeah. A oh really yes. Incredible. We love Joyland. Yeah. So the, the, the two writers and editors who started Joyland, um, Emily Schultz and Brian Joseph Davis, they, um, they did a uh, all digital imprint through this Canadian house, ECW, and because they, they, I mean, they were just interested in, in literary publishing online, like e, in e-publishing and, and what that would look like. And so um, they ran a contest to see who their first book would be. And I, I won the contest. So that's how that book lived in the world. So that my, my first book is, I, I've never held it physically in my hands. Whoa. It's just oh my gosh. Been digital. So, um, so it, it hasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't widely read at all. And, and so like to, to go back through those stories and they're bonkers. They are bo- like the, what I was working on then, because this was before, I mean, I, I got into personal essay when I really started when we started second story and I really started getting on stages in Chicago, see full circle, like nice. The year's my full movement to this podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's coming back to microphones in Chicago, but like that, that's when I got into personal essays. But before that I was doing, like I was into fiction and like how um, I think like person, I, I, I was, I was interested in how fiction and nonfiction, Okay, here's what I want to say. John Edgar Wideman, I, I heard him on a panel once and he had this line where he said, genre distinctions exist so people who work in bookstores know where to shelve things. <laughs> and at the time I was kind of like, truth is truth. I don't care if it's fiction or nonfiction. So like I, I, I was into writing things that had really happened to me, but, um, but just making it just go batshit part of the way through, right? Like, so I, I was trying to, like I was going through this breakup and then that turned into a story about... Um, me fucking the incredible Hulk who lived under my bed. <laughs> and, and I was, I went to AWP for the first time and it was in New Orleans. And then that turned into a story about like, I, I got really drunk in a marching band accidentally followed me home to Chicago. And, <laughs> you know, but just like all of these. And I, I was having so much fun. Um, and so the, that's really how I felt going back um, through those stories is trying to see what I was trying to make and how I was trying to cope with some very real intense things that I was living, but just through the lens of imagination as opposed to experience. And it was, and there are a lot of pieces in both books that start talking to one another, right? Like there's an essay in Once I Was Cool about how I was researching a short story that I'd written about sitting in a, about skinny dipping in a quarry and how, and this is the thing that really happened to me. I was 16, I was skinny dipping in a quarry and this group of drunk dudes kind of stumbled across the quarry. They were like drinking. And so all of a sudden I was naked in the middle of this quarry by myself and like, here are five drunk dudes. And I first wrote that as fiction because it is a, um, that is a, a difficult thing that I carry in my memory. And, and so the short story that I wrote about it is in Everyone Remain Calm. And then I was trying to write it as an essay and I still wasn't ready to, to look at it head on. So I wrote it as an essay about trying to research the short story because I couldn't remember what had happened to my body. Like I remember that I'd that I, I wouldn't leave the quarry. Like I wouldn't stand up because then they would see me naked, right? So I was submerged for a really long time and I couldn't remember what happens to a body when it's underwater for like five hours. So I oh sat God. in the bathtub for five hours. So there's an essay in Once I Was Cool where I sat in the bathtub for five hours and literally the essay is like, this is the stupidest fucking thing I ever did. Like, <laughs> why am I but I, I think w- what I was trying to talk about at the time I have the language for it now, but it like is experiential research, right? So how do we live 
how do we go back and relive the things that, that we're trying to write about? Um, but anyway, ju so, so just to see how the, the two books talk to one another uh, in that way was interesting for me to look at kind of through this, the, the distance that I have now of 10, 15 years. Wow. And these, these are both available for pre-order, right? Yeah. yeah they, come they come out August 15th. Oh my God. Why am I thinking that's so far in the future? That is yeah, literally, literally like in two minutes, <gasps> but on August 17th, um, I'm doing a, a zoom event through women and children first. Hi women and children first. I love yes, you. We love you. And I, uh, and my friend, the, the theater artist, Kanisha Foster is going to interview me for this. And she is one of the people that I started second story with so many years ago. So she was there with me when I was making all of this work. And she was, you know, so like at the same time we were trying to figure out like, how do we put our lived experience on a microphone, uh, right? As opposed to the page. So she, and, and she, she's a theater artist, right? So, so she, she makes all these, all this work now for stages. So I'm really interested to, to talk, you know, cause so often we talk to other, when we talk to other writers, it's about the writing and it's about the experience, but I'm doing this with a person who was, physically there living it with me at the time that I was writing it and making it. And she knew that girl. She did. She did. She was with her. Oh my time. God. Yeah. And so, so much of who I am now is because of her. So I'm just really excited to do this. And we wouldn't have been able to do it had it not been on zoom because she's, she lives and works in LA now. Oh my gosh. This is one of the things that I, I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, as the world opens up, what are we going to, be able to get back to that we've missed about in-person connection, but also what can we keep about online spaces that, that allow for more accessibility for people whose bodies can't necessarily step into to real space in the same way. Um, but also mid-list authors who don't get the budget for the tour. Hello. Hi. <laughs> you, can't hear, you can't see this on a podcast, but I am pointing it like it me. <laughs> it. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, and so can people just go to your website to register for that zoom event? Yes. Yes. It's okay. on the website. Um, and it's on, it's at women and children first, please come hang out with us. Women and children first, in case you don't know, is the, one of the best bookstores in Chicago. Mm. And they always have amazing events and um, you should buy everything from them. Yeah. And if you don't buy it from volumes. Yes. And if you are local to Chicago, hi, Chicago. Um, I just got back in you, Chicago. <laughs> I've, been gone, I've been gone for so long and now I'm back here for, I just been, my son and I have been back since the beginning of June. So welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but on the 17th, I'm going to, hang out at women and children first in the morning. If, um, if you want to say hi, or if you want me to sign a book, um, I'm going to get a bunch of coffee and hang out with my dear Sarah Hollenbeck, one of the owners of women and children first. Um, so Love if you want to say hi, come say hi and I'll sign your book or I'll sign anything that you want me to sign. Okay. <laughs> We're so excited for you, Megan, and we love you, and and thank, thank you for coming on our show. We are just you, blessed by your presence. Thank you for making it because it, it was a, a lifeline for me. I, I think just this past year and a half, which it it has been, I, I think for so many of us with small humans who are trying to find words for it. So thank you. Amen. This is great. I a uh, huge fan of hers. Didn't realize the first book was a story collection, but it makes sense because it's never been fucking released, really. Like, mm -hmm. no wonder I didn't. I was like, what the fuck? How did I not know that? It's exciting because I feel like I'm discovering a whole new Megan. Yeah. Yeah. And in case people don't know, I'm sure most people know, but that's how Megan reads every time. She is 100% captivating and like, hypnotizing and she is the real deal um i had to read before her once and <laughs> i was like that i think that, i did too and i was just like i remember sitting there and thinking like 
this this is about as good as this can be done. I mean, she really just is so arresting when she's doing. I mean, yeah, that's such a good word. Unbelievable. Yep. And so exciting that she's back in Chicago and she's working on new stuff. Um, good things. All good things. How was your week? You know what? They've been going quick. These weeks are just going fast. I feel like I get to. So my Friday is Monday. So tomorrow's my Friday. And then that's like a, a long day. And then Tuesday, I'm so tired that like, okay, it's Wednesday and Wednesday is my Sunday. And then it's Monday again. And oh I feel God. like it's been on like, I just feel like, yeah, everything feels sped up. And so, yeah, things have just been going quick, quick, quick. I have a book on submission right now, which is a certain type of like um, fugue state. So I've just been watching all these action movies that I love and like getting emotional about Bill Paxton. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's been a weird time, Lindsay. It's, it is a very strange time. Um, And just in general, like you spend years writing your book and, Mm. and it's, and it's, it's you and not you because it's broken off of your body and out in the world. But, but then there's, then you have to wait and see if other people say, okay, right. <laughs> you know, when you have spent so much time making it into something that you love and that you're proud of, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, you and I have talked a lot about book submissions on the show and off the show. And the, the couple of things I've, <laughs> I've learned, I've realized is, you really feel thankful for the friends you're able to vent to and just be honest with mm-hmm. and tell way too much to, cause that's so valuable, but also it, it's disorienting because you forget what the book actually is. Like I've actually opened up the document and been like, wait, okay, what is this again? Like, am I, yeah. am I look, am I remembering this thing clearly? And yeah, it's I a very, I, I, just, yeah, you know, I take my book out and look at it and pet it and remind myself <laughs> you know, every once in a while. And I'm still confused. I still don't understand. Right. right. <laughs> there's no clarity. There's but, just yeah. words. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's no, like, there's also no, like, well, this means this, or this much mm-hmm. time means that it's like, it's every single thing is different. So, but you so desperately want that. That's yes. the thing that I keep wanting is like, you know, you need like the publisher's marketplace, like very right. nice deal means this major right, deal means right. this. You need like, right. You've been waiting, you know, X amount of time from X person. And this means that, and it's yeah. like, no, 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 nothing means anything. Just stop. Nothing means anything. And it's summer. So everyone's all over the place. Right. Right. Uh, but, what yeah, about you? What's been, cool. what's been uh, going on with you? Um, I just finished reading Claire Fuller's unsettled ground, which I inhaled. This is the one you're doing the event for? No, that was The Comfort of Monsters by oh, okay. Willa Richards, which I also loved. And the the thing about me is like, you'll be like, oh, Lindsay says she loves every book. But the, the, the truth is... I didn't fucking say that. <laughs> I, I'm just speaking to any anyone out there. The truth is, if I don't like a book, I stop reading it and then I never talk about it again. So all the books I'm talking about are the books that I've actually loved. Yes. Um, and I, I really love Claire Fuller's book, um, Unsettled Ground. It's her new one. It's on Tin House. And I recommended it to my mother-in-law, hi, Sue, because she was talking about how she, <laughs> I recommended some book to her at some point, And she was like, that's for young people. Like, I'm so <laughs> sick of these books that, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm, so I told her to read Olive Kittredge and she absolutely loved that. Mm-hmm. And Claire Fuller's book, the protagonists are in their fifties. So I was like, they're kind of adults. So <laughs> you'll like this. But if awesome. anyone has recommendations for Sue mm. about with books, with protagonists who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s. Please let me know. She's already read all the Ann Tyler. She's the one who got me into Ann Tyler. You love Ann Tyler. Oh my god, I love her so much. What um, is what does Sue really like? What's her what's her favorite? She loves mysteries. So she's read okay. all like Sue Grafton's book books. Did she read Adam's book? Yes. I she bought Adam's book and read it. Um, she's read all Tana French's books, mm-hmm. but she loves like literary stuff too. Cause she, you know, like I said, she, she loved Olive Kittredge. She got me into Ann Tyler. Um, so yeah. So if anyone has any ideas, I've, I've told her about Claire Fuller's book. Tell me and I'll tell her. <laughs> um, 
but yeah. So I love that. And we're going to Virginia tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, we're taking a plane, um, which is kind of nerve wracking at this point sure. in the pandemic, but going to do it. It's time to see family. And my, my five-year-old asked his aunt, we're going to see my, my husband's father and stepmother and his sister and her family. And my five-year-old was like, Aunt Prudence, do you have any booby traps at your house? <laughs> 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 so they don't even know what they're in for <laughs> no oh my god but yeah that's it very good good things all good things summer's flying by yes. bye all right bye i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements editing by Lindsay hunter music by max loop yeah yeah